It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. America's voice of reason. Boyd Matheson on Utah's home for elevated conversation. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Well, the headline today, of course, is that U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee. And while many were expecting the headlines to focus on top secret documents seized from Mar-a-Lago, seized from President Biden's home, seized from Mike Pence's home. Those didn't even come up until about four hours in. So what did they talk about? How expansive is the Department of Justice? What's the footprint? What's the reach? What does it mean to you? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day. Think again. Well, it's been a very long day for Merrick Garland in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, Hard lines of question and very surprising, actually, out of the gates. Uh, Lindsey Graham, Republican who many expected to uh, go after a lot of the issues surrounding the former president or even uh, President Biden's son, Hunter Biden, uh, chose to focus on fentanyl. And who was really responsible for that? And what was Mexico's responsibility? So very fascinating, all the different places and spaces that this uh, hearing went and all the things that Merrick Garland had to respond to. So we want to share with you a couple of the different angles, some interesting components that we thought were uh, worth thinking about and uh, getting some perspective on. And so let's start to right here close to home. Utah Senator Mike Lee asked the attorney general about protection around Supreme Court justices since the leak of the Dobbs decision. Here's that exchange. Ever since the leak of the Dobbs opinion, we've had protesters who have been showing up the homes of Supreme Court justices, carrying signs, picketing, shouting. It's very clear that they're trying to influence in one way or another uh, those serving on the United States Supreme Court, trying to influence jurisprudence. And yet not one person, to my knowledge, has been prosecuted for such things. As soon as the Dobbs draft leaked, I ordered the uh, marshals to do something that the United States marshals had never in history done before, which was protect the justices, homes, residents, and lives 24-7. No Justice Department had ever done that before. We which is terrific. More- that's that's fantastic. So right. I'm, I'm getting to, why, to the why. So we sent more than 70 U.S. marshals for this purpose. Those marshals' priority is protection of the lives of the justices and their families. That is why when someone did come to assault Justice Kavanaugh, he had to walk go away from, from where they were because there were two marshals in front of the house and eventually he self-reported himself. The marshals have been advised and they know they have full authority to arrest people under any federal statute, including that federal statute. But they have to make the determination on the ground whether they can do that in a, in a manner that is safe and, and able to protect their main mission. Let's go to Senator Lindsey Graham now, who, uh, as I mentioned, decided to focus his questions around the issue of fentanyl and our country's failure to prevent this drug from spreading into communities and killing so many of our citizens. Fentanyl deaths uh, are more than gun and accident deaths combined in the United States. Did you know that? Yes, sir. 
I mean, this is, how would you describe the fentanyl problem in America? It's a horrible epidemic, okay. uh, but it's an epidemic that's been unleashed on purpose by the Sinaloa um, and the new generation Jalisco cartels. Okay. Let's just stop and absorb that for a moment. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? I'd like to work with you and the chairman, if we could, to find a bipartisan solution to this problem to create deterrence that doesn't exist. Do you believe that the policies we have today, in effect, are working? They are not stopping fentanyl from killing Americans, if that's the question you you're asking. You say they're woefully inadequate to the task. We are putting all the resources that Congress provides to us into doing this. My time is up, Mr. Turner, they're not working. And we're going to help you if you'll work with us to give you more tools. I hope you will meet us in the middle. Thank you. That's a very interesting exchange there, an important exchange. Uh, and an exchange that I was surprised was so centric to just pointing a finger at Mexico and the Mexican cartels. We've been doing a deep dive on this show, talking about what is going on. We know that the source, the ingredients for fentanyl, are coming from China to Mexico, and definitely the cartels are involved there. But we also have to recognize that the vast majority, over 90% of the fentanyl that's coming into this country, is coming across at legal border crossings, being brought over by American citizens. And so somehow we, we have this image in our heads that this is all illegal immigration. These are people coming across illegally, you know, with backpacks and with packages of, of fentanyl. Uh, and that's just not the case. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Now, I agree with Senator Graham that what we're doing is woefully inadequate. And I think members of Congress need to recognize that what we're doing is woefully inadequate. And the Department of Justice needs to recognize that what we're doing is woefully inadequate. And the administration, the White House needs to understand that it is woefully inadequate. And the White House actually has some levers to pull, especially when it comes to China. Uh, So this was a really interesting uh, perspective. And again, it was one, I think, that caught a few people by surprise Uh, in terms of just the reach of the Department of Justice and all the different facets that it actually touches. Now, I want to go to Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley, uh, who inquired about the independence of political investigation. So here we're getting into some more of the things that people were maybe anticipating, uh, referencing the Delaware District Attorney investigation of Hunter Biden, the president's son. Does the Delaware U.S. attorney lack independent charging authority over certain criminal allegations against the president's son outside of the district of Delaware. 
Um, he would have to bring, if it's in another district, he would have to bring the case in another district. But as I said, uh, I promise to ensure that he's able to carry out uh, his investigation and that he be able to run it. And if he uh, needs to bring it in another jurisdiction, he will have full authority to do that. Uh, has the Delaware U.S. attorney sought permission from permission of another U.S. attorney's office, such as in the District of Columbia or in California, to bring charges? If so, was it denied? He has been advised that uh, he is not to be denied uh, anything that he needs. And uh, if that were to happen, um, it should uh, ascend through the department's ranks. And I have not heard anything uh, from that office to suggest uh, that they're not able to do everything that the U.S. attorney wants to do. And that was just the beginning of the beginning. It was also a very interesting. Uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar, a Democrat, uh, in her opening remarks, actually referenced a letter that she and Utah Senator Mike Lee had penned together to the Department of Justice dealing uh, with some of the high tech companies and some of the issues around that. And so it, to me, it really just shows the there is some bipartisanship to be had there as well. Uh, it just uh, in the later stages, did they start getting around to who knew what uh, relating to the classified documents that uh, were at the Pence residence, the Biden residence and the Trump residence? And uh, so that part, I think, will continue to play out. And that's a little bit more expected to be what we expect, a little more political theater uh, rather than driving into what is it that the Department of Justice is supposed to do? What are they doing uh, and are they doing it correctly? I also thought it was interesting that uh, Merrick Garland, uh, who, of course, uh, was a one-time Supreme Court nominee, uh, commenting on some of the things going on uh, that relate to the Supreme Court. That has to be a a little bit of an interesting space uh, for Merrick Garland, uh, knowing that could have been him on the Supreme Court. Again, the politics of it uh, all played out. And so as we look at these kinds of hearings, there's so much beyond the headlines that we, we have to just keep drilling down and keep getting to the questions about the questions. Uh, And why are they going down this path? How does this relate to the Department of Justice? What does this mean for American citizens? What does it mean for international policy and so on? Uh, And so it's one of those that it's easy to get to the headlines. It's easy to look for that social media moment that one of the senators is going to, you know, blast Merrick Garland with a really hard question or is going to make a a really funny statement or something that's going to get them some clicks on their website or help them raise some campaign cash or maybe land them on a national cable news network uh, later on today. Uh, but I was pleased, actually, that the the bulk of what I saw early in the day, in particular, uh, was much more focused, uh, much more on good questions about issues that we should be asking about, regardless of where you fall politically. These are just good questions that we should ask of whoever is leading the Justice Department. And so those questions are fair. Those questions are right. Those questions need to be asked and the answers need to come. And so I think there were some really good exchanges there uh, as that went along. But again, don't be fooled when you scan the headlines today in terms of, you know, big moments and uh, those who are doing their performative political moves. uh, They will get the headlines on this. But underneath it, there's some important discussions that need to be had, including about things like fentanyl, including the security of the Supreme Court, including investigations into sitting presidents, previous presidents, previous vice presidents, uh, and on down the line. There's a lot of important questions because what we have to make sure we get to are the answers and the transparency that will restore the trust of the American people in the Department of Justice. 
with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.